0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. This podcast is brought to you by OnlineGambling.com the place to be for all the latest gambling news and tips throughout the NFL playoffs. Visit OnlineGambling.com slash NFL to get the edge over the competition throughout the playoffs this year. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of what we talk about by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast, and folks, we have a lot to get to Let's get started. First one comes from Justin. Justin says, if we lose Leslie Frazier this offseason, who would your number one candidate be to replace him? And now, this is a very real possibility. The Chicago Bears have reportedly requested permission to interview Leslie Frazier, and he'd be a great hire for them. And so I think this is a very real thing. My number one candidate to replace... Leslie Frazier is, without a doubt, John Butler, who is the Bills' current defensive backs coach. His resume is off the charts for what he's done with the Bills in terms of their secondary since 2018. And he did a fine job with the Houston secondary from 2014 through 2017. And so I think he's the obvious choice. And look, he might get hired away anyways to be somebody's defensive coordinator. You might as well make him yours. If you lose Frazier. And if the Bills do lose Frazier, they get a third round pick this year and next year due to the compensatory picks that are now awarded if a minority coach gets hired away from your team to be a head coach elsewhere. And so there would be at least something there for the Bills should they lose the great defensive coordinator that is Leslie Frazier. But my choice, by far, John Butler. I like the idea of an internal candidate that understands exactly what the Bills like to do with their players and personnel and the familiarity, I wouldn't want to go with somebody from outside the organization and John Butler appears quite ready to, uh, to take that type of role. The next one comes from CG and Jonell. Very similar. A lot of people actually sent in questions about this. Shaq Lawson was released. Should the Bills bring him in and get him on the practice squad? he'd be a nice player to have in case of injury and already knows the system. Yeah, absolutely. Bring him in, let him be on the practice squad, and have even more depth at defensive end. Now, I wouldn't advocate for him playing over guys that have been part of the team all year long, like Epinesa or Boogie Basham or F.A. Obata, but if it came down to it, he'd be a great player to have waiting in the wings in the practice squad. The next one comes from Andrew. Andrew says... Happy three-year anniversary. Thank you, Andrew. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast starting in March of 2019 after randomly searching for Buffalo Bills podcast on Spotify. I've never posted to Twitter Tuesday, I mean, herd mentality, despite having numerous ideas in the past. Do you think the Bills should sign Shaq Lawson this season or next as a free agent if possible to a minimum-type deal to replace Mario Addison or Jerry Hughes? Also, it would have been nice during the drought years to listen to the Levy Grail about the Bills this time of year to provide some positivity. So we've already talked about Shaq Lawson as an option to be on the practice squad right now, but when you bring it up in terms of next year for him to be a free agent signing to be part of the mix, I think it does make sense, and that is as a low-cost player to come in and compete. The defensive end room could look quite different next year. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, and F.A. Obata are all expiring contracts, leaving you with the young players, Greg Rousseau, Carlos Basham, and A.J. Epinesa. And while all of those players have flashed, and I'm quite satisfied with Greg Rousseau, is that really going to be your premier top three defensive ends? Have they collectively shown enough yet to make you feel comfortable about not having Hughes and Addison in the mix. And so, if you can get Shaq Lawson on a modest deal to come in and be part of the answer and factor into the rotation, all right, I'm all for it. But we also need to recognize what Shaq Lawson has become in the NFL, and that's a player that we've now seen three teams in the last year move on from, and teams that need help, Houston, Miami, and the Jets. And so we have to have that awareness. He's not going to come in and be the game wrecker up front, but as someone who could compete with Obata, bring them both in, yeah, that's the type of stuff that gets me interested in Shaq Lawson in terms of a next-year option. Now, Andrew also mentioned the Levy Grail and how he would like to have listened to the Levy Grail during the drought years. And for anyone who is not familiar with the Levy Grail, It is something that we do on Draft Dudes, which is the other daily podcast that I do. It covers the entire NFL, college football, and the NFL Draft. And so our tradition every year is that as teams get eliminated from the playoffs, they go through the Levy Grail. And I use the poem that Marv Levy so famously used in trying to rally the Bills after they lost the Super Bowls, that fight on my men poem. And so the idea is, it's called the Levy Grail, and we talk only positive things about the team and why fans of the team should have some level of optimism for the future. And so, yeah, I agree. It would be fun to have done that back in the past, but it's also fun to do it now. And um, if you're interested in hearing us do that, check out the Draft Dudes podcast. The next one comes from Bob and several people asked about the punter situation, and this is what Bob said. The punter situation has been disastrous all season, and the Bills seem to be satisfied with a subpar punter. It is a very risky proposition that will likely come back to bite us at some point in the playoffs. What are our options? Have you ever known a team to switch punters at the beginning of the playoffs? I think we still have that other punter on the practice squad. Is he a realistic option? Is it possible that Hawk is such a good holder that we would risk a disaster by failing us in the playoffs just to keep him on the squad. I was at the Pittsburgh game, and I was done with him after that blocked punt. He is killing the team. So, Bob, first of all, and everyone who is thinking about Matt Hawk, I would go ahead and set the expectation that nothing is going to change. And I'm not saying that it should or it shouldn't, but I don't think they're going to do anything. Sean McDermott, said openly during his Monday press conference that they're proud of the way he fought through those struggles. Matt Hawk's not going anywhere, at least not right now. And yes, it would be a major risk to just cut him and not have him on the team because of what he means to Tyler Bass as a holder. We've talked about this so many different times this year. The holding component of what Matt Hawk does matters a ton. Tyler Bass has spoken openly about it. And the best evidence that I could give you is the Miami Dolphins, where Matt Hawk has been for the last four seasons. Their kicker, Jason Sanders, was a first-team All-Pro kicker last year. This year, the Miami Dolphins were last in the NFL in made field goal percentage. Matt Hawk matters to the field goal kicking operation. Now, like I've said, I don't think you have to have the worst punting in the league To have good holding. You can have both. It's a completely reasonable thing to achieve in the NFL, and you should want that. You should not be content with bad punting, not just bad punting, but the worst punting in the NFL, just so that you can have good holding. But there's no way that you can disrupt this field goal kicking operation right now. No way. Now, what I would be open to is that you have Jamie Gillen on the practice squad. Activate him. Allow him to be your punter and make sure that Matt Hawk is only on the field to hold. And the way you do that is just have Matt Breida inactive. But there's no way you can think about blowing up this kicking operation right now. I would rather roster two punters than disrupt Tyler Bass at all. The next one comes from Jacob. Jacob says, after another sensational performance from Devin Singletary, I was wondering how much the gap has really widened the past few weeks between him and the rest of the running back room, statistics, splits, et cetera. Also, I was wondering how much you think McDermott trusts him relative to the rest of the running back room. After seeing this breakout, would you even consider Christian McCaffrey? I'm a firm believer in Singletary being the future. Love the pod and keep up the great work. Thank you, Jacob. So I do think that McDermott trusts Devin Singletary. I don't think he has any trust in Matt Breida whatsoever to touch the football. And as far as the production gap, over the last four games, Devin Singletary, 54 rushes, 237 yards, four touchdowns, seven catches. Zach Moss, 13 rushes, 59 yards, three, three catches. And so over the last four games, 16 touches from scrimmage for Moss, 61 for Singletary. So yeah, that gap is definitely widening. Devin Singletary is your lead back, your bell cow back. Now, as for the Christian McCaffrey stuff, I can understand the speculation. There was a report that the Panthers are going to listen to offers. Their general manager on Monday came out and said emphatically that they're not interested in trading Christian McCaffrey. I wouldn't expect them to say anything different. And of course, Brandon Bean was the assistant general manager in Carolina when they picked Christian McCaffrey, and Bean called that pick a sleep good at night pick. But here's the thing is that it makes no sense for Carolina to trade McCaffrey. They're going to pay him more next season to not be on the team if they trade him. And the contract, McCaffrey's contract looks bad, but if you acquire it in a trade, it is completely digestible. If a team were to trade for Christian McCaffrey, they're basically signing up for four years, $44 million, but the way that it's structured, it would be you owe him $8.4 million next year and nothing after, nothing at all. Meanwhile, Carolina would eat a bunch of dead cap space. So this is all about potential returns for Carolina, and they don't have any draft capital. They have a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick, no day-two picks. So for them, if they can get enough in exchange for McCaffrey that it becomes worth it to eat all the dead cap, then they would do a deal. But I wouldn't be comfortable parting with whatever that package is. Devin Singletary is a perfectly fine starter. He's not an above-average starter. He's fine. I do think that the Bills need more depth. I don't want to go into next year with it being Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and Matt Breida. That wouldn't make me happy. But a mid-round draft pick on a running back and a low-cost veteran free agent to go with Moss and Singletary with the idea that you might just cut Moss is completely fine with me. The next one comes from Peter. Peter says, sorry in advance because I know you don't want to talk about special teams all week, but I'm hoping to get your thoughts on Micah Hyde being the punt returner going forward. I personally love it, and I think people get too hung up on worrying about the injury risk. Sure, Hyde's more likely to get hurt returning as opposed to doing nothing, but he's also exceedingly more likely to get hurt practicing or playing his normal position than on a few punt returns a game. I think you put the best guys on the field each snap and apologize for nothing. If Dallas can have CeeDee Lamb returning punts for two full seasons, we can put our starting safety back there for the postseason. Tough time to be a Bills fan, eh? Yeah, it sure is, Peter. Love that. Um, Yeah, so I think the Bills have to go with Micah Hyde as the punt returner for the postseason. Now, next year, you figure that out. We have lots of ideas that we'll share in the offseason. But right now, this has to be Micah Hyde. The most important thing for the punt returner is ball handling and making sure that the ball goes back to Josh Allen. I don't trust Isaiah McKenzie. I don't trust Marquez Stevenson as a punt returner. So, yeah, use Hyde and put your best players on the field. I'm with you on that. I'm not somebody who gets all hung up on getting concerned about players getting injured. They're football players. They're supposed to play football. Special teams are part of football. They matter. So, yeah, I'm not a big get nervous about using anybody on any football play. That's what they do. People think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax live experts, that's what makes things interesting. Life changes are exciting and they usually have tax implications. Maybe you are a full-time employee who decided to freelance and now you need some advice on how to file as a contractor. Maybe you started driving rideshare after your nine to five job, or maybe you work in one state, but live in another and you need help reporting your income. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experienced experts dedicated to answering all of your tax questions and finding every deduction for you. And you can talk to them from your phone without ever having to leave your house. Whether you got married, had kids, or changed careers, TurboTax Live experts are ready to help you with your unique tax situation and get you the best tax outcome. To TurboTax Live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing, they've got your taxes. Intuit TurboTax Live. The next one today comes from Pete, who says, Are the Bills a statistically different team at night? My impression is that something always seems off when they play night games. Now, Pete, I don't have every piece of information to give you, but I do have the Bills record with Josh Allen as the starting quarterback in the early afternoon and late time slots. And I have Josh Allen's passer rating. So that was the best I could find. Uh, in terms of the early window, the Bills are 30 and 15 with Josh Allen at quarterback, and he has a passer rating of 86.8. In the afternoon slate, which would be like the Jets game yesterday, the Bills are 3 and 4 with Josh Allen as a quarterback, and Allen has a 96.6 passer rating. And in late games, so like primetime games, the Bills are 6 and 3 and Josh Allen has a passer rating of 105.3. So Josh Allen's passer rating actually goes up the later he plays in the game. And again, the early record, 30-15, afternoon, 3-4, and four. and late is 6-3. and three. CG says, we saw the Bills run some wildcat with Singletary. Besides putting tape out there for other teams to prepare for, do you think they incorporate this a little more into the offense, maybe save Josh from a few hits? So yeah, I think the biggest thing is putting tape out there so other teams have to prepare for it, but I don't know that it really has much to do with limiting Josh Allen hits um, because you could just hand the ball off to Devin Singletary, but I think what this comes down to is building plays off of it. I think this is just phase one of what can come in the future. So you do your traditional wildcat and then from that you work in a pop pass or a double reverse or... You pitch it back to Josh Allen, and he throws it. I mean, you can really build a lot of creative things off of it, and so I think this is just phase one of what could come down the line. The next one comes from Adam. Adam says, I know the Bills have more talent on offense than the Patriots. How much can the Bills change or disguise things when you play each other three times in seven weeks? Will the Bills focus on matchups they like, or will we be seeing new stuff? I'll tell you what, I think – we should be prepared for the variables to be different. Last time it was a heavy dose of Stefan Diggs and Isaiah McKenzie. Maybe this time around you incorporate more Cole Beasley to go with Isaiah McKenzie. You get Dawson Knox going a little bit, you get the running backs going in different ways. I mean, you're going to diversify your plan. You're going to figure out the things that were successful. You're going to continue to do that and figure out wrinkles off of that. And so, It's not as simple as a copy-paste game plan to last time because they're going to be more ready for that. It really comes down to the wrinkles that you can build off the things that made you successful last time. And so we've seen this with Brian Dable as well. Going back to the Houston playoff game in 2019 and, of course, last year, the wrinkles in the postseason were definitely there. There was a different look, and so I think you'll see that again, especially against an opponent that, You've now played three times in seven weeks. Tyler says, do you expect the Patriots to continue to use a lot of heavy personnel, six linemen against the Bills? It worked well in the first game, not so much in the second. Do you also think if the Bills get up by a score or two, that Bill Belichick will keep trotting out that personnel grouping? So yes, I do expect that. I think that is what the Patriots are. They have Michael Unwenu, this big, massive dude. They use him as a utility blocker. And I expect that to continue. They want to work downhill. They want to displace people out of their gaps and run power behind it. And so I think that's very much their identity. And I think the Patriots have told us loud and clear, whether it was the game against us or the game against Miami in week 18, that they are going to continue with that. And the Colts game, they got away from their run game and it really cost them. And so I think they've really learned that They have to lean on it because Mac Jones isn't the type of quarterback that is just going to carry the offense. He needs that complimentary run game. And they don't play with great pace. And so I think that's who they are. And I expect them to use heavy personnel, run the ball downhill, keep Josh Allen on the sideline. And I don't want to go like way back, but if you go back to the 1990 Super Bowl where Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants against the Buffalo Bills, that game was all about clock control, run the football, keep Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas on the sideline. That's, that was their game plan, and it worked. And I think that's always going to be part of who Bill Belichick is. And in this type of game where he's seen what Josh Allen can do to his defense, he understands the best thing for his football team is for 17 to be on the sidelines. And so, yes, clock control, short passing game, sustained drives, not turning the ball over. That's the Patriot way. That's what they're going to do. I don't, I don't anticipate that changing at all. Mark says, just curious where Darrell Williams' salary ranks in terms of the other guards in the NFL. He was signed in the offseason to right tackle money and moved inside, but is his level of play can measure it with his pay in relation to the position? I think he's done a fine job, especially considering he took all camp reps at offensive tackle and moved during the season, but it appears the salary cap is going to force the Bills' hand into some moves that we may not want to make. Hopefully, Williams isn't included. So Darrell Williams has an average annual salary of $8 million, which makes him the 48th highest-paid offensive tackle in the NFL. When you apply that to the guard position, Darrell Williams is the 26th highest-paid guard in the NFL. And I know everyone doesn't love PFF grades, but PFF grades Darrell Williams as the 30th highest-ranked guard in the NFL. So he's paid as the 26th highest-paid guard. He's the 30th highest-graded guard in the NFL. I think that that's pretty fair. The next one comes from Alex. Alex says, In the past few weeks, many Bills beat writers and podcasters have been heaping praise on the proficiency that Levi Wallace has displayed, not only this year, but in his past few. It seems the Bills are always able to sign him to a one-year prove-it deal. Well, now that he's proved it, I think Levi will be looking for something more long-term. In your opinion, what type of contract would Levi command in regards to other corners comparable to him in the NFL? I agree with you. I think it's time for Levi Wallace to get a reasonable contract. And interestingly enough, he hired a new agent last week. And so I think we can see what's happening here. Levi Wallace wants a few bucks and he's earned it. So spotrack.com does a great job of forecasting contracts. And it's pretty close to what I think it should be as well. They predict a three-year $17 million deal for Levi Wallace. That's an average annual salary of 5.7 million dollars. Falls in line with Kevin King's deal, with Mike Hilton's deal, with Michael Davis's deal. I think those are pretty comparable. And so I would expect something around 5 million dollars a season for Levi Wallace. Hey Bills fans, this is Joe Marino with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. Our listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas. Every time they fill up, just download the free get upside app in the app store or Google play right now and use promo code touchdown and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using get upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code touchdown to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account, and you can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. Bills fans, we're all looking for an edge these days, and I'd like to thank OnlineGambling.com for sponsoring today's podcast. If you don't know already, OnlineGambling.com is a website dedicated to giving gamblers the edge. Throughout the playoffs, they're providing you with the best NFL tips, news, and more to help make your bets as informed as ever. OnlineGambling.com gives gamblers the edge by providing the best and most trusted experience online all day, every day, inspiring every gambler in the world to beat the odds. Don't make emotional decisions with your hard-earned dollars. Make informed decisions with information sourced by experts. Be sure to consult OnlineGambling.com before placing your bets. Make sure you visit OnlineGambling.com NFL for all the latest gambling news and tips to give you the edge throughout the playoffs. Remember, OnlineGambling.com NFL to make the most of this year's playoffs. The next one today comes from Tyler. Tyler says, I know they are each not perfect in their own right, but have Levi Wallace and Devin Singletary each done enough to avoid having a high draft pick used at their positions? Well, absolutely. And I don't think the Bills are going to pick a cornerback or a running back early. The earliest I would see that coming is the third or the fourth round. I think you're going to see the Bills invest in O-line and D-line and maybe receiver with early picks and cornerbacks and running backs could come later. And if you re-sign Levi Wallace and pay him like a starter, and Trey White comes back, and you have Dane Jackson, what he's shown this year, and you like Cam Lewis, I'm not sure the Bills pick a cornerback until very late in the draft. The next one comes from Ryan. Ryan says, my question is about Spencer Brown. We know he's had his ups and downs this season, but I can't help but see his upside. On almost every running play, if you watch closely, you'll see number 79 slamming into the pile, trying to push the ball carrier for a few extra yards. There's no questioning his motivation. Combined with his incredible athleticism, the sky's the limit for him, but how realistic is it to think we have a 10-year answer at right tackle with a handful of Pro Bowls sprinkled in? So first of all, I love that you pointed that out. That is something that Spencer Brown does. He chases the football, and he smashes into those piles. And the Bills offensive line collectively does a great job of that. More so than a lot of teams. Those offensive linemen are getting in there and banging a lot more frequently than you see from other football teams, and you love to see it. And I think Spencer Brown's ceiling is off the charts. He's the best athlete on the team. He might be the best athlete in the NFL in terms of offensive linemen. He's got unreal gifts. By week three, he's starting for one of the best offenses in the NFL. They move Darrell Williams to guard so that they can get this guy on the field. I think he's grown throughout the course of the season, and I do think that he has the type of ceiling to be a 10-year starter that makes several Pro Bowls. Holinka says, Joe, what do you think of the Brian Flores firing? I think that team was heading in a positive direction, so selfishly as a Bills fan, this is good news. Even if they line up a big-name coach, it's a cultural reboot that will set them back a bit. What are your thoughts? So here's the thing about Brian Flores, and I'll, I'll be completely candid. Brian Flores did not want Tua Valoa. Justin Herbert was his guy. Tua was the owner's guy, Steven Ross. And that created tension. And if you don't believe me, just look at how Brian Flores handled Tua throughout his two seasons, benching him left and right, He was healthy this season, and Brian Flores was reluctant to put him in the lineup over Jacoby Brissett. Tua wasn't his guy. And there became more and more alignment issues with Brian Flores, Chris Greer, the general manager, who's been with the organization for like 20 years, and the owner, Stephen Ross. And so despite Brian Flores being able to rally that football team for three consecutive seasons and finish extremely strong and do it without good quarterback play. And that's very, very impressive. If you don't have alignment between the key figures of your organization, it's not going to work. And so there's just too much tension there. And the owner's always going to win, right? And so this comes down to, a lack of ability for Brian Flores to get the offensive staff right. Three offensive line coaches, three offensive coordinators in three seasons on the job. Patrick Graham left. That was the defensive coordinator his first year. Left for the same position with the Giants. I think Flores is kind of a tough guy to work with. And he rubs his assistants the wrong way and he's very demanding. And he obviously wasn't on the same page with the GM and the, and the owner. And so I think they did what they had to do because they had to get on the same page in terms of the leadership and direction of the football team. The next one today comes from Mark. Mark says, looking over the stretch of the entire 18-week regular season, can you pick an offensive performance and a defensive performance that you'd like to see the Bills consistently play like that you believe will get us a championship regardless of who we play? Well, first of all, anything that I would offer to you would be opponent dependent. So I would definitely pick the bills defensive performance against the jets, but we do have to keep in mind that that was against the jets, you know, four first downs, five passing yards, like 50 something total yards. I mean, certainly I would want the bills to play like that every week, but I think we have to factor in the, the opponent into why the bills were so successful. Now, Over the course of the season, the Bills prove they're the best defense in the NFL, but I would certainly laser in on that Jets game. Offensively, I think there's a number of games that I would point to. The second New England game probably stands out the most. The Washington game, the first Jets game, the Saints game. I liked all of those performances. And kind of just bringing this all together, I'm in a group text with a couple of other Bills podcasters And I I sent this this morning, and I know that it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I think you can kind of gather my overall thoughts on the Bills and their opportunity in the postseason. This is what I said. Here is the hard-hitting analysis I know people come to me for, but this is my outlook for the Bills in the playoffs. If you play well, you're probably going to win. So if the Bills go out and play well, if they play to their capability, they're probably going to win. But they have to do it, so it's easier said than done. But this team is fully capable. Can they find consistency? Well, it's now or never. The next one comes from Duke. Duke says, when looking at the weather for next Saturday, I came to the conclusion that I want to face the Chargers, but it looks like Mac and Cheese Jones and his noodle arm are coming to town. Who would you have preferred? And side note, what a wild finish to the season. It was just wow. So, yeah, that was a fun Sunday, right? If you, uh, if you love football, if you love the NFL, Sunday was as good as it gets. But um, I'll be honest with you, I was going back and forth in my mind. Do I want the Patriots? Do I want the Chargers? And I decided on the Patriots because I'm watching this Chargers team and they've got a lot of issues, but their quarterback's pretty special. And so I think quarterbacks matter the most of anything. And I certainly. Wasn't going to be afraid of bringing Justin Herbert across the country and having to play him in Western New York. But I like the idea of Mac Jones quite a bit more. Rookie quarterback, first playoff game. Yeah, I wanted the Patriots over the Chargers, to be completely honest with you. Last one today comes from Jock Doc, who says, A game of inches, if Josh doesn't slip and gets 12 inches against the Titans, we're the number one seed with a bye and home field advantage throughout the playoffs still shows what a great season we've had. You're not wrong. You're going to drive yourself crazy if you think about that, though. None of the 11 wins that the Bills had this year did they steal. They convincingly won 11 games. The Colts game was the Colts game. They got their butts kicked. But the five other losses could have gone either way. And um, you'll drive yourself crazy because there is a very practical way that the Bills could be the number one seed and the AFC would run through Orchard Park. But it's not the way it went. That's not the way it went. Too much meat left on the bone for the Bills offense this year. That's what it comes down to. And they had a great season offensively, top five offense in the NFL, but still kind of frustrating when you think of how much meat was left on the bone. That's going to do it for us here today, folks. Tomorrow, we start our conversation regarding the matchup with the Patriots. I will... Offer a primer of sorts where we really focus in on what we've learned about the teams since they last played and what we can expect this time around. My keys to success, all that type of stuff is coming your way tomorrow, Thursday, our crossover preview. Friday, Friday's going to be a good one. My leftover thoughts is going to be interesting. We're going to talk to banged up bills about the injuries and then, of course, my predictions. I have a major announcement coming your way this week. I teased it on the Saturday podcast. It's either going to be on a Wednesday or Thursday, probably Thursday. And I may, I may tell you about it on the Wednesday night, Instagram live 9 PM Eastern time on Instagram. I'm going live. We're doing a giveaway. Um, and if you're not familiar with the giveaway, then you missed the Saturday podcast, but that's at 9 PM Eastern time, Instagram live. My handle is the underscore Joe Marino. And, uh, I might drop the, uh, might drop the news there. If not, it'll probably be on the podcast on Thursday. So, You have a lot to look forward to this week. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.